Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. I don't know why they let us have a radio show. Sometimes well, I'm surprised. I, I sometimes catch them whispering <laughs> here. Because there's windows all around yeah, and we yeah, can see. Yeah. Okay, this is it for them. This is it. So uh, we're thankful that you're here. <laughs> And we hope that we're here tomorrow. That's right. That's right. Well, we have we have <laughs> Pastor Russ and Pastor Jonathan in the studio today. And unfortunately, we are missing our co-host, Pastor Phil. He is visiting his first grandchild in Oregon. That's correct. That's awesome. So we have been... I actually don't know the of when the grandson came into the world. It was just this year. It it's, was? A young, it's a young one. Is this it's the first a... time he's seen him? No. Uh, no, he's seen him before. Oh, that's right. He went over there for the birth, right? That's right. That's right. And I thought he was just there a couple weeks ago. Well, you know, when you have a grand... Seems like it. You yes. know, this is, this is... You know, when you have grandchildren, this is the way it is. You know, I mean, they, they become part of your, your life and your, the orbit in which you live. And I can't wait uh, to have grandkids to be able to love them and hang out with them and then like, okay, go back to your parents now. <laughs> <laughs> that's the beauty Is of that it. wrong? Is that a wrong sentiment? Yeah, that's what I do with my kids right now. So. <laughs> go to your mom now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we've been going through questions, and Pastor Russ uh, lovingly corrected me yesterday because these are both theological and practical because there's no such thing that's theological that's not practical, and there's no such thing that's practical that's not rooted in theology. Did yes. I say that right? Oh, that's beautiful. That is beautiful. All right, yeah. so here's the next question. What is the biblical basis for human dignity? What is the biblical basis for human dignity? Well, um, Genesis, we've been created in the image of God. Um, that image of God has not uh, doesn't go away with the fall. Um, it's marred. It's um, been damaged. But being created in a way that we're to reflect who God is, and so the dignity. You know, I mean, there is. You know, there is no dignity in being lucky mud or you know coming from some primordial ooze. You know, in an evolutionary sense, but there is dignity because we're created in the image of God. Oh. Did that, that, Matt, you just reminded me. That's why these other what, what was that? <laughs> can't talk. Uh, that's why these other worldviews like naturalism and evolution ultimately end up in a philosophical position called nihilism, which means there is no meaning. Mm-hmm. Because if we don't have a transcendent meaning attached to us, then what's what's the point of life? You you can assert that it's well it's to do this this and this but you have no foundation for it right and and you know this and and because of human dignity it it matters how we treat everyone mm-hmm. you know we're in a society that's emphasizing the treatment of one race apart from others it matters how we treat all all races yeah. it matters how we treat um all levels of society yeah um, you know uh, the rich and the poor alike, and uh, you know that you know we were talking about Pastor Phil going over to see his grandson in Oregon. 
Um, you know, David uh, says in, in uh, Psalm 139, uh, talking about the Lord, you formed my inward parts. You knitted to me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are all your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eye saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. That's human dignity yeah. right there. I, my dignity is grounded in the God who created me. Yeah. You know, maybe to illustrate this, uh, your point, Jonathan, um, I've heard it said before, like, abortion is is tragic because, and then here's the reason that's given often, because you don't know what that child is going to turn out to be. Maybe that child is going to be the next Beethoven or Stephen Hawking or, or some brilliant you know, person, and we're robbing humanity of, of that gift. Here's the problem with that argument. You're making their inherent worth based on something that they do or that they can become right. rather than, no, 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 abortion is tragic and abortion is murder because it snuffs out an image of God. That's right. Um, otherwise, I mean, we're left with, with saying that, and, and this is Bob, also the argument that, that leads to euthanasia. Well, you know, those people who are old or mentally handicapped or whatever, they're no longer useful to us, and so we should just, you know, mercifully mm-hmm. put them to sleep. That undermines the very the Genesis 1 that we are made in the image of God. I can't find it in Calvin's Institutes because um, – I'm so sorry. Um, I didn't bring my copy of the Institutes, and I'm trying to borrow Josh's, and his is the beverage translation, and I only know the battles translation. So I, I'm having trouble navigating. You this. are not forgiven. I'm yeah. so yeah. But I. <laughs> what think, are you trying to say? <laughs> I can't navigate that translation. Um, it's weird. I just know where things are in in my own copy of the Institutes. I'm, you guys probably have books like this where. Yep. You just yeah, know the right book. side of the page, yeah, yeah. halfway down. <laughs> um, but there's a section in the in the Institutes where Calvin deals with the image of God in people, and it's in the section where he's talking about um, our our call to love others, and he makes his his wonderful biblical um, reply of how how do we love others. And he says, you love others because what you're loving is the image of God in that person. Mm -hmm. So you're not loving them because they've earned your your love because of something that they either do or don't do. Because of the image of God alone that every person possesses, they're worthy of love. Mm -hmm. And how you love them is you get past their brokenness and their sinfulness, uh, you get past everything that's unworthy of love, and you find that which truly merits it, which is that they're an image bearer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I just think it's it's helpful, it's it's insightful. Um, and and it's what are, unfortunately, it's, I can't tell you where it is in is institutes at the moment. Well, to apply yeah. it immediately to our culture, that's what's missing today in culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you 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 can ask yourself. The question, what happens in a society that gets his idea of human rights from the belief in the image of God, that all people are created in the image of God? Um, you know, what, what happens in society when they lose that idea of God? I think we're seeing that played out right yeah. now. Um, we need to, we ground those rights in the, in, 
in the individual as a human being that's made in the image of God. And what makes a human worthy of rights is that image of God. They, yeah. They're able to they're able to reason. They have self-consciousness. They are able to reason. They know right from wrong. They have the capacity um, for preferences. They know choices. All these things are things that God has given to us. Uh, so this belief in the image of God, this is what, in one sense, separates Christianity from so many other of the world religions there. You know, it's why, why Christianity has been against abortion and euthanasia, as we, why it's protected life, why it's, why it's raised the value of, of women in society. Mm-hmm. All these things are attributes of Christianity that reflects this image of God. That's right. I mean, the whole, even, it's weird, our Declaration of Independence will make reference to this idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and somehow we, we say that we have this Declaration of Independence that we believe in. But we forget that the Declaration is grounded in the principle that that all men are created equal, created, and are endowed by their Creator. Mm-hmm. How are they endowed? Why are they endowed? Mm-hmm. Because they're image bearers. Yep. It's not because we declared it to be so yeah. by a Declaration of Independence. We mm-hmm. didn't grant people dignity. Yeah. We didn't grant them rights. We didn't grant them anything. God did. Yeah. How? By making them image bearers. That's right. And all of the, the nonsense in society today about who has worth, well, we all have worth. Mm-hmm. Not because our, our declaration tells us so, and not because, because of God our, did. And not because of our skin color. That's correct. Yep. All right, well, let's go to the next question. Uh, this is from John chapter 11. Uh, why did Jesus weep at the death of Lazarus? I think it's really just comes down to that that, that death is the ultimate um, form of the broken world in which we live. Um, death is is the ultimate um, penalty for sin, and so in death it's not natural, um, and it's always revealing the extent of the broken world in which we live. And no matter how you slice it, death is always separation. Separation for the person who died between their body and soul, um, a separation between now the living and the dead. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean that that separation is final. It's not the final word. Um, I think that's mm-hmm. what 1 Corinthians 15 tells us. But it is a very strong word for the moment in which people find themselves. So Jesus wept because? There's pain. There's pain that death causes, and I think he's weeping in the face of brokenness, Mm -hmm. of the broken world in which he lived and which we live. And it was also known that he loved Lazarus. I mean, this, you know, I mean, Jesus was not immune to the emotions that any of us have. I mean, we we don't really read a whole lot about um, the inner part of Jesus. We can talk about his attributes as, uh, you know, being made, um, you know, being divine and then being made in the image of man and taking on the form of, of man. But ultimately, uh, he possessed all the emotions that we do. And mm-hmm. so he loved Lazarus, um, mm-hmm. you know, and so uh, death, as you pointed out, 
had an effect on on him. You know, there was, we asked a question last week, did Jesus ever laugh? And Russ, you quoted Ecclesiastes 3, where he, he had to have laughed because it says there's appointed a season under heaven, um, a time to laugh and a time to weep. And I, I've heard, so I, I would argue the same thing about this. Why is Jesus weeping? Uh, because it, death does impact him. He is a man. He is our substitute. This is the appropriate response when your friend dies. I've heard some interpretations of this verse that I think are kind of tragic, mm-hmm. uh, like, well, Jesus wept at their unbelief. Well, well, maybe that's included in the weeping. It's, like, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily precluded, but come on, man. I mean, we have a God who's relational with us. Uh, that that's such a bizarre interpretation to me that that we're explaining away Jesus' affections for his friend who's dying here. And I think we just have to be careful that we don't do away with funerals in our society. I mean, I keep going to celebrations of life somehow. I get what people are saying, that this isn't the end. But it is the end. Sin is the testimony. I mean, death is the testimony of the power of sin. Um, and so we, ha- we mourn the we mourn sin. We, we mourn the result of sin. We mourn the loss of a loved one. And I, I think we just have to be careful that we don't lose that aspect of a funeral. Um, that tears are okay. They're actually appropriate yeah. well, in this the ties, face of death. This ties in what we were talking about yesterday when we were talking about the biblical basis of human dignity. We we're talking about the image of, image of God. And so uh, oftentimes, you know, I've, I've done a number of funerals in, in my ministry and I can remember uh, one week when I was called on the, the death of a, a, a dear believer and at the same time I was called to speak to someone about the death of a loved one that uh, you know they just showed up at um, their their children showed up at uh, a vacation Bible school they had no relationship to the Lord I had to do both both funerals well, what's what what you do in the case of an unbeliever is you're dignifying human life. You're you're saying the sanctity of life. This means something. Yeah. And uh, and so yeah, you're you're recognizing that, and you're and and so you're you can weep with the people who've lost that same loved one. That's right. We've well, been listening to the Gospel for Life. We hope to see you next time. 